Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode 26. In today's episode, we are going to talk all about the hamstrings. And as yogis, we know that the hamstrings are both anatomically a very centrally located body part or muscle group for us, but also a special and near and dear body part to our hearts because it is the muscle that we stretch to get into forward folds. And not only is it a muscle that requires a lot of flexibility, but for yogis, it also tends to be a muscle that is very weak and sometimes even painful. So in this episode, we are going to start off by talking about the anatomy of the hamstrings just briefly, and then we'll talk about how to both stretch and strengthen the hamstrings. Topics that we'll cover in addition to the anatomy and stretching and strengthening are proximal hamstring tendinopathy, or known also as yoga butt, as well as whether we should bend our knees in forward folds to quote unquote, protect the hamstrings. Also what's up with cramps and why do the hamstrings cramp? And if we have time, then we will get into some questions that we got from our loyal listeners. We are also as a, a tie into today's episode, we have to tell you about a brand new program that we are releasing which is called Five Weeks to Strong and Flexible Hamstrings. This program is led practices by Jenny and me. So all you have to do is press play and go. They are a series of short 20 to 25 minute practices that are you will receive over a five-week period. And they're designed specifically for yogis to stretch and strengthen the hamstrings. And we're not releasing this program until... October 10th for the general public. But if you are listening to this episode before October 10th, then as a special thank you for being a loyal podcast listener, you can get the program before the general public at an extra special discounted price at strengthforyoga.com slash five dash weeks. And that link will be in the show notes. If you're listening the week of October 10th, it will still be on sale at a slightly higher, but still discounted price. And then after the 16th of October, it'll go up to the regular price. So get it now. Again, the link is strengthforyoga.com slash five dash weeks. That link is in the show notes. So let's get started with our episode. Jenny, thank you for mm -hmm. joining today. I would so like, happy to be here. Thank you. I would like to have you start off by telling us a little bit about the anatomy of the hamstrings. So what are the hamstrings? Which muscles make it up? And what do they do? Well, those are excellent questions. It's kind of like foundational knowledge that we want to have under our belt in order to 
start to kind of dive into this topic. So the hamstrings, I think that kind of like in a lay person's understanding, and I just know that I used to think this too, before I learned about anatomy, I just kind of thought of that them as just like one big muscle. Like sure. I didn't even know why it was hamstrings, like multiple. It's just like, that's a hamstring and another hamstring on each leg. Yeah. Well, it's not like the quadriceps, right? Like quad means four. Mm. So, you know, well, maybe, you know, right off the bat, maybe, you know, right off the bat that that means it's a group of four muscles, but the hamstrings, it's not like the triceps. Well, yeah, it's not, it it doesn't tell you how many there are. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't have like a number built into the name. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I should quickly just take a step back and uh, lay out just in case anyone didn't know where that the hamstrings are basically the muscles along the back of your thigh. Mm-hmm. or the back of your femur. So just in, and obviously, as you said in the intro, they're the muscles we stretch when we fold forward. And we mm-hmm. all kind of know that sensation of feeling that stretch through the, the backs of the legs. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And despite potentially popular thought, the hamstrings are not just one big muscle on the back of each thigh, but they're actually a collection of three muscles on the back of each thigh. And uh, we'll just, we'll state the names of them. And if you're especially anatomy geeky, then maybe you want to learn and memorize them. But it, I'm not sure that it's like super important, especially on like a practical day-to-day level. Well, yeah, I don't know. You think I, maybe? I, maybe no, no, I wrestle with that too. Like, like how well, important it is to memorize yeah. these muscle names. Yeah. There must be a reason no. why they why they teach it to us in our anatomy textbooks and well, really anatomy yeah. in general, but maybe that's a conversation for uh, <laughs> like a different a, episode. A larger occasion. Yeah. Right. I should qualify this by saying I do really appreciate knowing the names of muscles. And I feel like I use that a lot in my work and the way I think about the body, but just not necessarily needing to, you know, state that everybody needs to have, have these names in their heads necessarily. Yeah. You can always ask Google. Yeah. A hundred percent. We always have that that tool at our fingertips. But we've got, so the three muscles that make up your hamstrings are, uh, there's the semi-membranosus and the semi-tendinosus. And when I learned about the hamstrings, I learned about those two as often referred to as the semi-sisters, just kind of helps remember that, you know, the semi-sisters. And those two, those two hamstring muscles are medial on the leg. So that means like toward the, toward the mid midline, like mm-hmm. as opposed to lateral toward the outside and semimembranosus is deep to semitendinosus. So those are those two. And then we have our third hamstring muscle, which is lateral. So toward the you know outside and that's your biceps femoris, biceps femoris. And that muscle has uh, technically has two heads. So um, I should take a step back and uh, say that all of the hamstring muscles, they attach uh, up on our sitting bones or the ischial tuberosities to be extra anatomy geeky. That's the mm-hmm. technical name, but they attach proximate, the, their proximal attachment is on the sitting bone. And then they run down along the back of the thigh. They cross the back of the knee and they attach to our lower leg. Mm-hmm. Um and so biceps femoris, I mentioned it has two heads. One of its heads, the long head, attaches up there at the sitting bone along with the semi-sisters. But then the short head of the biceps femoris starts like partway down the femur or the thigh bone, and then it goes down. So they don't all actually cross the hip because the short. That's right. The three of them, semimembranosus, tendinosus, and the long head of the biceps femoris or femoris mm-hmm. cross the hip and the knee, but the short head only crosses the knee. Precisely. Exactly. 
Um, so that's kind of, do you think, did I miss anything, Travis? And just describing the basic anatomy of the no, hamstrings. I, I think the only tricky thing sometimes is that because our, our anatomy is like continuous, that it can sometimes be hard to differentiate the medial adductors from mm. the medial hamstrings. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that now's a good time to talk about this or later, um, but the adductor magnus is oh, yes. another muscle that extends the hip like the hamstrings do. So I'm it can be tricky. But let's, let, let's say what the actions are and then we can come back to that. Like, okay. Make more sense, right? Yeah, so the, the adductor, yeah. Yeah, so based on where the hamstrings originate and insert or the, mm -hmm. the muscle attachments, what muscle actions do they do? And well, actually, this is a, a cool thing. So when I was in personal trainer school, I was like, why do we need to learn all these origins and insertions? Mm -hmm, this is boring. Mm -hmm. but, but my mentor said, if you know where the muscle originates and inserts, then you can always tell what action it does because it brings those two points closer together because muscles shorten when they contract. So if you know that the muscle is on the posterior side and crosses the hip and the knee, then as it contracts, that automatically tells you what the muscle does. That's, that's, I really, really like that teaching tool. That is awesome. Um, and just to layer on an extra thought, um, muscles, when they contract, they can shorten, but they can also contract and lengthen Sure. while they're attempting to shorten, right? Just to be really yeah. clear so that... Because sometimes I think people think that contraction always means shortening. Right. I mean, but concentrically contracting. Yeah. Yeah. Muscles are always like attempting to shorten when they contract, but they're not always actually shortening. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Right. If, if the load yeah. on the muscle, if the external load exceeds the internal torque production, then it is lengthening while it's trying to contract. That's right. Well, it's still trying to pull those two attachment points toward each other. Yeah. From a, from a concentric contraction standpoint, mm -hmm, what, mm -hmm. what are the muscle, what are the hamstrings to joint actions? The hamstrings are what's known as a biarticular, uh, biarticular muscles, meaning they cross two joints except for the short head of the biceps femoris. So they're going to act on two joints, the two joints that they cross, which is the hip and the knee. So if we think about like those attachment points, as you said, and kind of moving toward one another, then, uh, and I'm just kind of closing my eyes and thinking about it right now to imagine that. But if I think about the uh, hamstring attachments on the lower leg crossing the back of the knee, if they were to contract and shorten, they would bend the knee. You know, mm -hmm. they would like lift if um if my foot was like not fixed to the floor, they would lift the my heel up toward the back of my hip and bend the knee. Right. So if you were just standing and going into yes. uh, like a um, tree pose, then mm -hmm. to to pick that foot up that would be knee flexion and the hamstrings would be performing that. That's right. That's right. So yeah, bending the knee anatomically is called knee flexion. 
So yeah, when the hamstrings um, contract and shorten, they will flex the knee. They bend the knee and that's what they do at the knee joint. And then the other joint that they cross, which is the hip and they cross the back of the hip joint, they would, uh, well, I guess we could just picture standing once again, say you're standing and we're talking about the hamstrings on say um, the right leg. So my left foot is staying fixed on the floor, but my right foot, let's say it's floating. And if the hamstrings were going to contract and shorten on the right leg, they would basically pull my right thigh back in space. And that direction of like pulling your thigh back in space is is called hip extension. So like if you were standing in Tadasana mountain pose and then you mm -hmm. stepped back into warrior one, mm -hmm. the, the back leg would be going into hip extension and one of the yeah. muscles involved would be the hamstrings. Yeah, to like pull, yeah, to lift that leg back for sure. Mm -hmm. Or or if you were lying, I think sometimes this is a helpful way to think of it. If you were lying face down or yeah. prone. That's probably the easiest way to see it. <laughs> maybe because of the way gravity is working on. Yeah. 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 If you're lying face down on the floor and you lift one leg or both legs really straight up off the floor, then that would be hip extension. That's like lifting your thigh up off the floor. We know that pose to be. Shalabhasana. Or at least half Shalabhasana, right? Precisely. I love how you know. <laughs> yes. Or locust pose, right. um, which is like a yoga backbend where we lift. Um, if it's full Shalabhasana, then we lift our chest and maybe our arms up off the floor as well as the legs. But if we're only lifting the legs, then we might call that half Shalabhasana. Yeah. And so that position is hip extension. I sometimes call it hip hyperextension because mm -hmm. that's how I learned it. But I think you don't call it that. You and I have talked about that before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, just from the standpoint of being in zero degrees of hip extension, in if you're just lying face down or standing, and then when the hip goes into more extension, you just call it hip extension, but I, I tend to call it hip hyperextension because that's how I've learned it. Yeah. And uh, we usually have like, I don't know, 10 to 20 degrees of hip hyperextension where the, the, right. the leg is lifting up higher than that neutral position. Precisely. Yeah. I think sometimes people think that we have more hip extension available to us than mm -hmm. we actually do, but I'm glad you pointed that out. Like a 10 to 20 degrees it's isn't really very much. Yeah. 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 So if, yeah. if you're lifting your legs higher than that in Shalabhasana, it's not coming from That's pure right. hip extension or hyperextension. You're getting some lumbar, lumbar extension as well. Yeah. Right. Like a back, like a back bend in the spine is probably adding in if, if the legs are higher than really it's like an inch, a couple, a few inches. It's like yeah. not very high. Yeah. Yeah. For pure hip extension. Yeah. Can, can we talk about, so we said that the hamstrings flex the knee and extend the hip. Can mm -hmm. we talk about some of the other muscles or maybe all, maybe not all the other muscles that do those joint actions that assist in those just to paint a fuller picture of knee flexion and hip extension? Right. Well, you mentioned a moment ago, the adductor magnus, which I think mm -hmm. is all is an often overlooked muscle when it comes to hip extension. Um, because the other there are five total adductors and the rest of them, the other four, they do the opposite. They do hip flexion. Uh, but adductor magnus happens to attach on the sitting bone and it crosses the back of the hip. So it actually contributes and helps with hip extension. And we we tend not to hear it discussed very often. When we're talking about hip extension, you tend to hear more the hamstrings and the glutes. And the glutes, mm -hmm. as we talked about in our episode on the glutes, we kind of detailed that quite a bit, what the glutes do. Mm -hmm. um, but like gluteus maximus and the back, the posterior fibers of gluteus uh, medius and maybe minimus, uh, they all also contribute to hip extension. Mm -hmm. And more so with the knee flexed, right? 
Mm-hmm. For the glutes. Yeah. yeah good because point. that puts the hamstrings in a position of active insufficiency. That's right. That's right. So because the hamstrings are a biarticular muscle, when you bend the knee, that puts the hamstrings in a more, is in a disadvantageous position mm-hmm. to extend the hip mm-hmm. because of the length tension relationship, um, because they've already been shortened at the knee. So then mm-hmm. when you go to do hip extension, you're going to bias the glutes the glutes that's right which is fine it just it's important to know that having the knee straighter or more bent is going to uh, shift the emphasis for that hip extension in one direction or the other and we can use that to our advantage Mm -hmm. whether we want to work the glutes more or the hamstrings more in something like a bridge let's say Precisely. And that's why, like, if, if our focus really is to strengthen the hamstrings, which it very well might be, might be, especially if we're talking about yogis, uh, you know, and how like they may have quite weak hamstrings as we'll get into, then when they're doing strengthening exercises, it might really matter how they position their hip and their knee angle, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to actually get like, to really bias those hamstrings. Otherwise it could just be glutes. Yeah. It's an opportunity. It's maybe an opportunity in a yoga class to say, well, well, and we're going to talk about this, but well, we're not getting a lot of hamstring strengthening. Are there ways where we can just subtly change the poses? Like maybe it, it, it is a bridge pose. Well, if mm-hmm. we put the, in, in, our knees in more extension, create a longer bridge, then we can get more hamstring work there. Precisely. So that, that's not like the classic expression or the shape of that pose. Right, because usually bridge pose is done with like the yeah the hip and the the heel in just a vertical. The shin is like a vertical, mm-hmm. which would bias the glutes more. Can can we do one more? Uh, what's the helper muscle for knee flexion? Just to finish painting that picture. So what's the in addition to the hamstrings? Which other muscles or muscle really just muscle flexes the knee? Sartorius. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was thinking gastrocnemius. Uh, oh, right, of the calves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. So I was still thinking up on the thigh. Yeah. Right, 100%. Yeah, so the, the gastroc is uh, is your big calf, superficial calf muscle, that like, mm-hmm. kind of two-headed, two, um, two-sided muscle. Which is another biarticular muscle because its primary role is plantar flexion or pointing the toes, but it also flexes the knee. It assists in knee flexion. I love that you came up with the sartorius first. <laughs> well, I was like, what? What is he talking about? The sartorius <laughs> muscle is also called, or the the way I remember it, that's called the Taylor muscle, right? Mm-hmm. The Taylor's muscle, mm-hmm. because it puts you into that Taylor's seated position, like which a is just like your seat. cross leg. Yeah. So, it, what flexes the hip, mm-hmm. flexes the knee, and externally externally rotates? rotates, and I think abducts the hip as well. That sounds right. Yeah, so it does but all that like, stuff. It's like a, it's a very thin muscle that runs, I don't know. Oh, like, yeah, kind of that oblique, obliquely <laughs> yeah. across the thigh. Yeah, and I don't think, it's not like, I don't believe like a major mover muscle, you know, right. compared to some of the It's not ones, like, right? you know, people talk about, oh, we're going to do leg day or we're going to focus on hamstrings <laughs> or, or we're going to make a five-week program dedicated to hamstrings. But nobody talks about, the oh, we're, we're training our sartorius today. <laughs> Right, Travis. I don't think five, anyone five would buy our program. strong and flexible Sartori. What's Sartori even Sartori I? Yeah, what's I don't the, even the know that. Sartorius is that sounds like a dinosaur. Oh my gosh, we'll have to look that up. Anyway, so yes, so 
we could talk about how to strengthen the muscles then, right? Yeah, yeah, precisely. So we know where they're located, we know where they attach, we know what they do, you know, when they when they attempt to shorten, when they contract. So like on a on a basic level, like what does that look like if we're try if we want to think about strengthening the hamstrings? Mm -hmm. And I sometimes for me when I'm thinking about like strength exercises, it helps me to just think about classic exercises in the gym mm -hmm. because I feel like those are those are well positioned just to kind of understand how to, how the especially joint machines is maybe especially machines exactly, mm -hmm. which is why I was going to suggest if we're if we're thinking about the hamstrings and the knees, it helps me to think about this machine at the gym that's called a leg curl machine. Mm -hmm. And there, I believe there are like two variations. There's one where yeah. you can lie face down and then there's yep, one the where you can lie like curl mm -hmm. and then seated leg curl. Right. And so in, in both cases, you basically position yourself in the machine and then you've got this like pad hooked underneath the back of your ankles and then you bend your knees trying to move that pad. But the pad is like attached to weights. It's like weighted down. So that's your resistance mm -hmm. and you're um, bending your knees. In fact, that's something I meant to say when uh, explaining how to strengthen the hamstrings. It's that we need to bend the knee and or extend the hip, but we need to do those things against resistance. Right. And I think that's kind of key because it's often easy to just assume like, oh, I see the knee bending, so it must be hamstring strengthening, you know? That's why I like to picture that leg curl machine in the gym because mm -hmm. I feel like that's kind of a clear way to understand, like, right? Right. So so you're pulling your heel in towards your butt. Mm-hmm. Against... your heel is being resisted by that pad. So if the leg curl machine is a good way to picture like a gym exercise and the knee flexion aspect, what do you think would be a good way to picture like some uh, stereotypical gym exercise and strengthening the hamstrings across the hip? Would you say, Travis, that something like a certain types of deadlifts at the gym would also be yeah. good for strengthening the hamstrings through hip extension? Yeah. And That'd the... be another good way to think about that. Yeah. So a deadlift is just an exercise where you're picking a dead weight up off the ground. Mm -hmm. And the the way that you do that looks pretty similar to a halfway lift in the bottom position. So knees are slightly bent. Well, this is the, the Romanian deadlift is the, the most like the halfway lift. Uh, your knees are slightly bent. Your hips are pushed back. So you feel a good stretch in that bottom position in your hamstrings. And then you grab the weight or grab onto the weight and then stand up into mountain pose and then you reverse it to lower. So that's uh, probably the quintessential posterior mm -hmm. chain exercise from a, a gym context. Right, right. But yeah, so if those are just some good ways that we can kind of picture like how we might actually actually apply load to the hamstrings in an effective way to build strength in a in a gym context i think that just helps us for like educational purposes thinking about how we might target those that area for strength so if we kind of more broadly apply those ideas to something like a yoga practice maybe we could just take a look at at our like a traditional yoga asana practice and, and investigate whether it actually strengthens the hamstrings right. like yeah. what do you think so let's let's think about whether we have any poses in our yoga lexicon that strengthen knee flexion and hip, and hip extension because those are the two things through, you need, right? especially through a full range of motion with a sufficient amount of load. Precisely. So, what's your list? <laughs> well, Rattle them off. Well, I can rattle off a couple you might think you like might think, but then you're like, oh, and we already talked about like how bridge pose as it's typically done in yoga. You know, you might think while well, I'm lifting my hips, there's hip extension. Hip extension, yeah. 
But because the knees are so bent, as we just talked about, like to really target the hamstrings there, you'd want straighter knees, you know, like mm -hmm. not so much. But so uh, traditional bridge doesn't really count. And also we talked about how Shalabhasana also doesn't really count because it's such a, it does, it does do hip extension with straight knees. It does, but it's such a small range of motion and there's no added load beyond right. your legs. So it's just right. very limited, right? Yeah. So it's not nothing, but yeah, for, yeah Shalabhasana is not nothing who's been doing those poses for a while, mm -hmm. the, you quickly run out of stimulus to effectively bring the hamstring strength up beyond whatever, whatever you've gotten from that initial Precisely. stimulus. We also already have talked about that connection or overlap between yoga's halfway lift and like a Romanian deadlift, you know, and how mm -hmm. Romanian deadlift, you're lifting a weight and that's going to be good for the first strengthening the hamstrings. Why in a yoga context would um, a halfway lift maybe, well, I shouldn't assume it isn't. I'll ask you, is yoga's halfway lift hamstring strengthening? Only in so far as the weight of your torso, right? Right. So that's, that's just, you're going to acclimate to that pretty fast. You could do a hundred halfway lifts and I don't know that your hamstrings, well, I don't know. Would your hamstrings get sore if you did a hundred halfway lifts? That's a good question. It might be different for everyone, but even if they did, that wouldn't be strength. No, right, be right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when we say strength, we're saying this is towards the end of the continuum where it's really hard to do relatively few repetitions. So mm -hmm. if you can do more than five or 10, you know, if you're, well, what, for one thing, we don't do that anyway. We don't go, all right, 10 reps of halfway lift. No, 10, you're 10 so reps. right. Travis. Maybe you would lift up and lower from Shalabhasana uh, mm -hmm. a, a few times. Maybe um, a few but times, again, it, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not. It's not like, okay, we're doing three max, <laughs> three max uh, repetitions of uh, Shalabhasana. It's like, oh, well, we're going to do three or five or 10, but you could have done however, yeah, 20. We don't take it. Yeah. To, we don't repeat it to the point where we get to. So it's not, it's, yeah, you're not going to the point of momentary muscular failure mm -hmm. or, or that higher end of fatigue and the load isn't sufficient that you could only do five or fewer reps or 10 or fewer reps. Like that's Precisely. where the, the true strengthening magic happens. Exactly. So it, I just, yeah, I, we don't see that with most of those poses that we've just talked about, but there is yeah. one other one, right? I wonder if you're thinking what I'm thinking. Uh, what do you think about warrior three? No, that wasn't, three. That wasn't that, even what I was thinking. So there are two <laughs> other ones, but so what, what do, what do, what do we see with warrior three? I see with warrior three that like uh, in a yoga context, that's a really similar movement pattern to, to in the gym that might be called a single leg deadlift, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is basically like uh, in the gym, it's like warrior three, but repeated over and over and with weight, usually mm -hmm. with weight and yeah. you know to the point where you get to momentary muscular fa failure. So in yoga, like that movement pattern, it's using the hamstrings because you're you're hinging forward. It's the standing leg we're talking about mainly that's right. being targeted, those hamstrings. But um, you don't have added weight and you're not repeating it how, you know, so many times in a row. Right. So to get that's, to... that's just that example again. If you, yeah. if you did for, for a beginner, if you did do mm -hmm. 10, you know, Warrior repetitions, yeah, up and down, you'd feel it. Yes, the next I totally and that, and that would be a strengthening stimulus. But eventually when you, if you continue to do it with body weight, 
you would acclimate to that and it would no longer because your your capacity your ceiling would just go up a hundred percent you would you would adapt and plateau but even even given that we hardly ever do repetitions of that it's more i don't of think like i've a, ever been in a yoga class where we've done 10 lower you know into warrior three 10 times like in a row like I don't, me, that's just me. not the style of yoga you know yeah, that's not how yeah. we how we treat our poses generally <laughs> yeah you might you might hold it for a period of time right Mm-hmm. That's but true. Totally. Again, we're getting more into the endurance side of things. Precisely. But Travis, you said there was one more pose that you yes, were thinking of. What's that, that one, I Travis? I was thinking of was Purvottanasana. Purvottanasana. And it, just in case any of our listeners don't know what that is, you might also think of that as reverse plank, mm-hmm. reverse plank pose. Or if people know uh, reverse table, uh, it's basically like reverse table with straight legs. Mm-hmm. So arms are behind you. And mm-hmm. then legs are straight. So full hip extension. And you, I guess you would start in staff pose. Yeah, totally. And then arms are behind and you bridge the hips up. And you lift the hips up. Exactly. That's Purvottanasana. So what do you think about that one? <laughs> I, will, I think a lot of things about that pose. I think that that pose does actually um, extend the hips against resistance with pretty straight knees, you know, like yeah. we just mentioned. So that's that formula that you actually want to, to strengthen the hamstrings. However, in yoga, we, first of all, in my experience, it's a very, it's a rare pose. Like I don't see mm. it in very many classes. In Ashtanga, it's in the primary series. You, you do it one time and then you move on through. So it's not, a, you know, very common. It's not like you're warrior one or chaturanga, which you see in almost every class. So there's, there's that. It's like pretty rare. It's also so hard for almost all yogis. It's like mm-hmm. maybe on most yogis' top list of poses that they hate. So they might try to lift up and then they're just like, get me out of here. And they they rush get through me, it. Get me out of here. <laughs> so it's like we never, even in a class where it does come up, we're never treating that pose in a way where, you know, there's enough volume, like enough repetitions of it where it mm-hmm. actually could accumulate some strength adaptations. But it, that's it's funny because that is the one where it actually is so hard that we could strengthen the hamstrings. You're so right, Travis. But, yeah. but it's just, it's it's rare. Precisely, precisely. But that's a really good way. That's a really good point. So, and I think that might kind of bring us to this idea that like, there, like, as you mentioned earlier, there are some things we could do within a yoga practice, like some little tweaks that actually could shift things so that we strengthen the hamstrings. Yeah, so more Purvottanasana potentially. Yeah. Although, it's tricky, right? Because like you just said, it's so hard mm-hmm. that, well, people hate it or people can't do it. And then maybe you regress it to reverse table. So you bend the knees. could, but then the knees are so what? bent. Yeah. Well, no, I'm saying that's, <laughs> that's not like, that's the, that might be a, a modification that someone makes, mm-hmm. which is great because that's still a, a lovely pose, right? But that's no no longer doing exactly the same thing like how Precisely. how would you how would you modify Tanasana to try to keep to the, make it more yes yeah, keep the goal the goal with the hamstrings yeah i think my favorite way is to and this is not very practical for most yoga classes but to use a chair where you have your hands mm-hmm. up on it. So you're really elevated because at mm-hmm. that angle, you're not lifting straight up against gravity, but you're more at this oblique angle and it's less challenging. And you're able yeah. to actually, you could do multiple reps in a row of Provotanasana. So may- maybe that that's probably the most accessible for the most people, but mm-hmm. not 
in a crowded Practical. yoga class because you just don't have a chair. So you could Precisely. do it with blocks, which will help a little. Yeah, blocks under your hands. Mm -hmm. Totally. Blocks under your hands would definitely help a, a bit for sure. But the chair is kind of is a great place to start. And that's why, Travis, like in our Strength for Yoga program, we actually – teach, we have Provotanasana in there. We call it reverse plank, I think. Yeah, reverse plank lifts. And we we teach it in a strength training context where it's repeated lifts. So usually in yoga, it's like you lift up, you breathe really quickly, and then you get down and you move on. But we have people like lift, I don't know what our rep count is, you know, I don't know, eight to 10 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But you lift up repeatedly until you get to that momentary muscular failure. Until you learn to love it. Tell you learn to exactly, and that would that would just be one set or one round of them. But then yeah. we would come back and do it, you know, two or three times total within the context of one prep, because that's how you treat strength training, you know. But that's how we've adapted that in our strength for yoga program, uh, specifically to target the hamstrings. Um, and um, do we do we include that those reverse plank lifts in in our five weeks program? We do, I think. Maybe <laughs> I have to think about that. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure we do. The um, listeners will have to get it and find out. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like 99% sure that we do. We have it in there. So yeah, so and that's, it's such, it is such a good way to target the hamstrings. That's why we really like it. But we don't think it's that effective the way it's normally, um, you know, yeah. approached in a yoga context. So, so we can, we can do that. In a traditional yoga context, we can straighten our knees out a little bit in our bridges. Yeah, as we or, kind of alluded to earlier. Or, and or do some single leg bridging. Yes, good but one, Travis. also super hard. Yeah, and you you rarely see that in yoga, but we certainly could do that. Like you lift one leg up, right? And then you bridge with the other leg, just a single leg. Mm -hmm. So that and, adds more load. And the, the there's another one, which you're a big fan of, which, which is, one is that? the bridge slide. Oh, yeah. How could I? forget it's like in this moment i blocked them out the bridge slides are amazing what's that um so bridge slides are basically we all know bridge pose from yoga but instead of having your feet on your yoga mat you would have your feet on in a yoga class it would generally be on a yoga blanket but you could also just put your feet on a towel that slides across the floor if you're on carpet you could put your feet on a couple paper plates and those should slide but basically you lift up in a bridge with your feet on something that can slide and then you slide your feet forward and then you pull your feet back toward you and lift your hips back up into bridge. So it's this dynamic sliding out and pulling back in. Which is a pretty wild exercise mm -hmm. from an anatomical standpoint, because as we talked about, the hamstrings flex the knee and extend the hip. And in this particular exercise, mm -hmm. unlike any, well, yeah. yeah <laughs> Unlike right. any other exercise that we've talked about. So far. Yeah. At least that we've talked about. There are some other variations of this, but you are performing both joint actions simultaneously. And with the bridge slides there, there's a whole slew of like quote levels or regressions and progressions. It's, it's people don't need to dive in and do it exactly the way we described it from the start. Cause that's actually super hard. Yes. And we teach all those regressions in the five weeks pro cause this is a pose we include in our five weeks to strong and flexible hamstrings. Mm -hmm. So we teach it in a really graded manner. Yeah. And I, well, I think that's, that's a uh, shout out to our program. <laughs> that That's the tricky part with in a yoga context where Okay, well, you could do more, like we're saying, well, pervertanasana is a great hamstring strengthener. So you can do it, but it's going to be hard to keep track of like that, that progression, right? 
to, mm-hmm. to find the right version of this movement in this moment for you and then try to build on that the next time and so on. And that's like the foundation of our whole thing is it's we're finding, yeah, we're, we're, we're finding the right scaling for you in this moment, whether it's the chair or whatever. And then we're trying the next time to do a little bit more, a little bit harder to work up to that. Whereas in a yoga class, that's just hard to do. You're so right. Yeah. Which is kind of why, and I know we've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, but that's why I finally kind of came around to the, the realization that for me personally, just, um, I love yoga, but I just realized it wasn't really, it didn't, for me, it didn't fit as the right context to try to squeeze strength training into. It just doesn't really naturally lend itself because of what you just talked about. Yeah. So that that's like the whole conversation. Okay. Well, if you're not going to strength train, okay, how can we make yoga more strengthening so that you can get some of these benefits? But in reality, it's going to be better mm-hmm. if you're not trying to fit the square peg into the round hole. And let's just do this separately so that when you come back to the mat, when you've done your five weeks to strong and flexible hamstrings, look how much more easily you're going to be able to get into and hold Parvotanasana. Exactly. Exactly. And I know you just mentioned like after you finish your five weeks to strong, flexible hamstrings program and then coming back to the mat. But just FYI, I mean one could do the five weeks program and oh, yeah. also do their yoga practice oh, yeah. simultaneously. It's not like you have not to, to say that you're yoga yeah, cold, cold turkey on the yoga. Yeah, no, um, no. Because, because yeah. our program is only every three days. It's every so three days, it's right? like two or three days at the most in a given week. And that still leaves plenty of time for, plenty your, time for your actual physical practice. pursuits. Yeah. Right. Like precisely. It's every three days. And, uh, and you can start the program whenever you want to. It's not like it's on the set schedule, but right? you just like decide I'm ready to start. And then you hit start or you, you start the program and then it's every three days from whenever you're ready to start it. But, um, but yeah, that's the idea. It's just like, why don't we make strength a little more, a little more efficient and structured and separate from our yoga practice so that it can, so that our strength practice can actually do a really good job of progressively strengthening our body, strengthening our body. And then all in just 20 to 25 minutes, two or three days a week. <laughs> Yeah, because it's, people are busy. Yeah, we wanted to make it manageable. Uh, well, Travis, something that I, so we, we've kind of, I think, done a good job of covering hamstring strength and how, just some general tips and ideas for how one might do that. Mm-hmm. And we've covered like some good exercises that people, there are many, many more and many that are included in our program. Mm-hmm. But another thing I thought was important to mention is um, one whole, one whole big thing about the hamstrings that we haven't really talked about yet is that for yogis specifically, but also I, I, uh, I think for just most people, yeah, having flexible hamstrings is kind of a goal. It's a very or something desirable that... thing. Mm-hmm. And I think even people with flexible hamstrings often still feel like they have tight hamstrings. That's true. Right. And so I think for a lot of yogis specifically, they, uh, because flexibility is so important to them, they often, uh, they often project this idea about something like strength training, maybe not being so good for them because Mm. they're under the impression that strength training makes our muscles quote tight, or Mm -hmm. in that sense, I'm meaning like reducing flexibility, like makes people Mm -hmm. inflexible because that's just like the societal idea or belief. Right. But as we know, and as we've talked about quite a few times on the podcast, that belief isn't actually supported by what research has shown about strength Mm -hmm. training. And we know Mm -hmm. that when we strength train through full ranges of motion, we actually improve flexibility. 
Mm-hmm. And research suggests that strength training through full ranges of motion actually improves flexibility as efficiently as passive stretching does. So that's just a really cool reassuring um, point to throw out there for people who, you know, who maybe were hesitant about strength training because they were afraid it might hinder their yoga practice and take away from their flexibility. They should just yeah. know that that's actually not the case. Yeah. If you've been doing yoga for a long time and you feel like your hamstring, you're at like hit a plateau with your hamstring flexibility, strength training could be exactly the thing. You, you might've thought that that was good. It would work against you, but it could be exactly the thing, like the missing ingredient to right. allow you more ease and more range of motion and more comfort in a forward fold. And I think that was yeah. exactly your experience when you started strength training, however many years ago, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, I can personally attest to that. And I remember telling you when we um, when we were kind of first hanging out and confessing to you that I felt like I was, um, I felt like I was someone who wasn't very flexible in my hands. Yeah. You know? yeah, you you didn't like to show off your forward folds. Right. I, I definitely could admit I'm quite flexible in many joints in my body for sure. Like I and and a lot of that is just like what you're born with and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But uh, but my hamstrings specifically, I felt and of course my my it's always uh relative, right? And so my perception is kind of skewed because I'm a yogi, so I'm comparing <laughs> right, myself right, to right, right. Compared like to super average, bendy. average Joe. Yeah. Like, sure. You you have a deep forward have, fold, but right. when you look at other, maybe it was other Ashtangis mm-hmm, who you yeah. practice with frequently, and they're what touching their nose to their knee or I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's them. a good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not doing that, then you could. You feel. And you you want to do that, and, and you're a yogi on the internet, like mm-hmm. you might not want to show off that pose as much as something else where you have more natural flexibility and. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely just felt kind of compared to the other ways that I could move in my yoga practice. I felt like my hamstring flexibility was limiting me. Uh, but, but pretty recently I've just like, uh, checked in on my forward fold and all, all these like, um, things that require hamstring flexibility. And it's like super surprised me, but I've, I've really transformed You're, and I can like, yeah. When, when you see pictures at like F of yourself doing the forward fold, you're like, wait, what? Yeah. That's, I was so that's surprised. my forward fold. Yeah. And like I, yeah. I, I had only seen, I only met you after you started strength training. So mm-hmm. like I I saw your forward fold. I'm like, what are you talking about? You have a, a terrific forward fold, but like you just hadn't internalized yet that like, oh, my forward fold has actually improved quite a bit. I think you're right. Yeah, and now it's. I mean, I I can palm the floor in standing forward fold with straight knees. I can never do that before. Just a, a bunch of other things. And um, the truth is, I mean, I've very consistently continued to practice yoga. But I don't in my yoga practice tend to just sit around in long static stretches. Right. Like I'm not really a yin yoga person. You know, like that would be an example that, in my mind of that. That's the crazy um, thing. Yeah. You didn't so, necessarily even do like a very dedicated forward stretching. fold stretching routine to get that. You just like started deadlifting one mm-hmm. and a half times your body weight. Maybe not one and right. a half. One and a quarter, which is quite a lot. But anyway, like it was the it, Nothing else changed besides the addition of the strength training. That's right. You didn't do that much more, you know, dedicated I didn't forward. Add folding. more stretching or anything. Yeah. 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 And that was the I think that was the ingredient or the missing ingredient that like really kind of brought everything together. So that's mm-hmm. just my personal experience. But yeah. we also know from research this is really research backed. So 
That's why, Travis, isn't that why we've called our five weeks program five weeks to strong and flexible hamstrings? Right. So like, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a strength training practice for the lower body. Right. And especially for the hamstrings. But we expect that you'll see improvements in your flexibility as a result of doing that strengthening, especially if this is a new introduction to your movement repertoire. Yeah, precisely. And and we have a focus on in the five weeks program and in our strength for yoga program in general, like our other offerings, we always incorporate strengthening through a full range of motion. And that's kind right. of the key ingredient that it's not just strengthening necessarily, it's strengthening through that full range that tends to be the connection to flexibility. So yeah, that's why we've incorporated that and um, make that like a key element of our program. But Travis, while we're kind of talking about things like hamstring stretching and hamstring flexibility, that kind of leads us to another topic that we wanted to cover in mm -hmm. today's episode, which was the topic of yoga butt, <laughs> quote yoga butt. And in using that term, we're not talking about like the aesthetics of gluteus maximus. We're talking about this uh, condition, or I don't know if the condition is the, the best word, but this yep. experience that many yogis tend to talk about having, which is called yoga butt, which is pain that they experience like at the top of their hamstrings. Mm -hmm. Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. We hope you're enjoying this in-depth and geeky look at the hamstrings. And as we've mentioned in this episode, Travis and I are super excited about our brand new hamstring strengthening program that's on special launch release sale until October 17th, 2022. And if you're listening to this episode from October 17th onward, you can absolutely still order our program, but it'll just be available at, at its full price. Our new program is called Five Weeks to Strong and Flexible Hamstrings, and we designed it with yoga practitioners in mind. It consists of a series of lead strength practices that are just 20 to 25 minutes long, and you'll receive one every three days for five weeks. And you can start this five-week period whenever you'd like to. And yes, the practices are lead practices. Just hit play and follow along with Travis and myself through these well-designed and fun classes. We think you're going to love this one-of-a-kind five weeks to strong and flexible hamstrings program. Place your order today at strengthforyoga.com slash five dash weeks, and the link is in the show notes. And now back to our episode. Pain that they experience like at the top of their hamstrings. Mm -hmm. And uh, it tends to be something that we hear about a lot in the yoga world. And yoga butt is like this casual term that's thrown around for it, but it has an actual technical term, right? Travis, what's that term? Mm -hmm. Proximal hamstring tendinopathy. That's PHT, right. Or PH high hamstring tendinopathy. Right, right. Because as we've as we've covered, the hamstrings attach up at the sitting bone. That's their proximal attachment. And then their distal attachment, distal meaning further from like the center of the body, that's down, crosses the knee, that's on the lower leg. So when we're talking about PHT or yoga butt, it's the proximal attachment mm -hmm. all the way up. And people often call it like a pain quote in the butt or you know, it's kind of experienced and felt up there. Mm -hmm. And it's the tendon because the tendons are what attach muscles to bone. Right. And it's like the hamstring tendon attachment that seems to be where this pain tends to be localized. 
So we definitely, this is a kind of a hot topic in the yoga world. We got lots of questions about this uh, when we threw out to our listeners for if they wanted to submit questions for today's episode. So we were definitely happy to talk about, about this topic. And honestly, I mean, the, I don't know that we even really have a ton to share about proximal hamstring tendinopathy. It, it seems that there isn't like it's um, research is still evolving when it comes to this topic. Like there's still many questions that remain. A lot is kind of unclear mm -hmm. uh, as far as like what actually causes proximal hamstring tendinopathy. But there are some things that we do know. And one thing that we know about PHT is that it's basically characterized by we might call it like sensitized hamstring tendon or like a sensitive hamstring, a painful hamstring tendon that's experienced in a position of hip flexion. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> in relation to forward folding and yoga. Ex exactly. So forward fold is by definition hip flexion. That's where we're flexing the hips. So it makes sense. I mean, if, if we do a lot of forward folding in yoga, which we do, if, if yogis um, or anyone like has proximal hamstring tendinopathy or just that high hamstring pain, it makes sense they would feel it in their yoga forward folds. Mm -hmm. However, we should point out that although it tends to be on an anecdotal level uh, commonly discussed in the yoga world, it's not this experience or this PhD is not only relegated to yogis. In fact, right. it's a lot more widespread than that, right? Like many athletes, including runners specifically, tend to develop proximal hamstring tendinopathy, um, and also sedentary people who are not active at all tend to like often can develop proximal hamstring tendinopathy. So we don't want to paint it as like this, this yoga only occurrence, because it's certainly not. Mm -hmm. I think my belief around it is just we happen to do a lot of forward folds in yoga. So maybe we just notice it more in that. Yeah, context. If, you're, if you're not doing a lot of forward folding, then maybe it's mm -hmm. just not bugging you. Right, 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 right. Um, but just to give a little more broader context for like hip flexion and hip flexion type activities, like um, I mentioned that that runners sometimes develop this. So, so running is an activity that involves hip flexion. Other activities of uh, activities of hip flexion might be something like squats or squatting in the gym. You can picture as you lower down, you're flexing your hips, and as you lift back up, lunges are also hip flexion on a day to day level, like walking upstairs. It involves hip flexion. And, and in all of these activities, people who do have PHT, they it's common that they might experience the pain in all of, all of these activities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then sitting in chair or, or just sitting in general involves hip flexion. And so a lot of people, um, even sedentary people who might develop this often feel it after prolonged sitting mm. and specifically sitting in um, on surfaces that are hard, like maybe not super soft, they might feel it more. So just to give a little bit of a broader, broader context, I think in the in the yoga world, we can get a little kind of like focused on what we tend to see, which is those forward folds in yoga. But like it's not it's not just that right where this mm -hmm. can come up. And also maybe just to uh, make sure that we point out that proximal hamstring tendinopathy is a diagnosis that one receives from like a healthcare professional, like a, phys right. a physical therapist or a physiotherapist. And we're not here to just suggest that just anybody who happens to experience some hamstring pain at the top of their hamstring. We're not saying you have PhD. This is not medical advice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, it very well might not be. It might be something else. It might be nothing. But PhD is still consult is still a medical professional. Yeah, we want to make sure. Yeah, that we that we say that. 
So um, I think that's why it's kind of a, it seems to be a commonly experienced um, occurrence in a yoga setting. Mm -hmm. What, um, what I think is also interesting is that sometimes this yoga butt conversation brings up some maybe like fear mongering around the topic of stretching in mm. general, you know, or, or there are also a lot of claims out there that it's stretching. And especially like in yoga, we stretch a lot. We stretch the hamstrings a lot. There's the, these ideas that stretching causes yoga. Yes. <laughs> well, that's, that's a can of worms. That's a can of worms. And maybe we won't go too much and well, no, open that. Just, just because much. you said, like you mentioned right from the beginning, all pain and as well as this pain in particular is multifactorial. So it's yeah. very difficult to say X activity caused pain. It's totally like the whole, Travis. all the things that you're doing and thinking and experiencing are contributing and your sleep to that quality and yeah. your stress levels. Right. And the things that you are not doing, which I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's super next. relevant here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's not just, oh, I practice yoga. I do a lot of forward folding. The forward folding did me in. Like, mm -hmm. That's that's what caused my thing. It's like, no, it probably wasn't just that one thing. Exactly. Thank you so much for pointing that out. Yeah, there's always a bigger picture when it comes to things like this. I I, I just think based on what I what I've learned about this, I feel like it's just no. We notice it in yoga, you know, because of all the hip flexion. Mm -hmm. Maybe stretching, maybe could be a contributing factor. But from what I understand, research doesn't even know that. Like that's not even that hasn't been demonstrated in research that stretching actually can lead to proximal hamstring tendinopathy. Anyway, I think this is it's just like it. It's like an intuitive conclusion people want to make, you know, based on their yoga practice. But I don't think mm -hmm. we even really have strong evidence or any evidence to show that. Yeah. So that's not, that isn't to say if forward folding hurts. Right. Then, then Consider. Yeah, you need to do something about that. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's right. Because when, once you have the problem, then you can identify the things that are bothering you. And yeah. you can temporarily modify temporarily. or mm -hmm. avoid those things. But it's not to say that this is the root cause of your problem. You should never do this mm -hmm. again. Forward folding is the devil. Yoga is, you know, dangerous, blah, blah, blah. But Precisely. at the same time, okay, forward folding is bothering me in this moment. Let me back off of this yes. for now or yes. uh, reduce the volume or the intensity, the depth of the, the pose while I'm acutely experiencing this thing and then let me do some other things that might help such as such as travis i think i think you put all that so well that's awesome um well we do know that in a physical therapy context like the 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 general recommendation when people do have pht and they're working with a with a physical therapist the recommendation is exactly as you said like temporarily back off the the activities in which it feels sensitive and then bring in progressive loading, AKA hamstring strengthening, a progressive hamstring strengthening program. And that's because what we really want uh, is strong or another word like biomechanically is stiff would be um, the word for what we want our tendons to be. We want them to be strong, AKA biomechanically stiff. Yeah, which is confusing because it sounds like yeah. we're saying tight, but stiffness yeah, is not, not tightness. Tight. Which we talked about in our episode with Greg Knuckles, right? Pre we totally talked about that. Yeah. Exactly. We can so refer we can people refer, to that. Yeah. Yeah. We had a good long conversation to clarify we'll, we'll that. We'll link that one in the show notes. But anyway, yeah. 
Yeah, but stiffness biomechanically is not about range of motion. It's it's about this other um, biomechanical properties of the tendon that basically mean in a summarized way that it's stronger. And so when people have stronger, more resilient tendons and hamstring tendons, for sure, uh, it seems that that can actually be, and I'm actually now kind of talking maybe more on like the preventative side as well. So, sure. so both of someone experiences this pain, but also maybe someone doesn't, but they don't want to develop it. They mm -hmm. should know that having stronger hamstring tendons seems to be suggested that that is a preventative measure to take against developing something right. like PHT. And, and the, the other way of saying that, not to instill fear in people, but having weaker hamstrings may be yes. a risk factor. Ooh, yeah. That's a perfect way to so, put it. So stronger hamstrings are a protective factor. That's right, Travis. And we just spent a bunch of time talking about how a yoga practice, we love yoga, but it's not a good setting for strengthening the hamstrings for all the reasons that we state that we set out, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning if you kind of add one plus one plus one for longtime yoga practitioners for whom yoga is like their main form of a movement activity. So assuming they don't also strength train or do something else that offers them strength, if yoga is their only thing, then they're probably they probably have weak and underloaded hamstrings and hamstring tendons. Yeah, which is like probably surprising. Right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you're not super familiar with the anatomy of this and yeah. the mechanics of it, you might think or have been told that by doing yoga very consistently, you will build strength well in a well-rounded fashion such that you might not need to do anything else. Mm -hmm. And we're saying that's not really the case. Precisely. That's a really, that's a really common message out there that like, it is just kind of a, just really this loose idea of like a yoga practice strengthens your whole body. Right. Like, I feel right. like I hear that a lot. And, and it's not, there's no like immediately easy way to know whether you have weak hamstrings. I mean, there, there are ways to, to test, but like, I don't, I can't think immediately off the top of my head of like, here's a test you can do to find out if you have right. weak hamstrings. Right. One thing, point. what actually I, I can think of one. Um, if you can do single leg hamstring bridges, mm -hmm. like with your leg relatively straight uh, and bridge your hips up and down. Single leg. Yeah. Then, and you can do a good number of them we're still talking a little bit more about endurance, but if you don't have the strength to do any at all, then that could mm -hmm. be a, a good indication that your hamstrings are weak. That's a really good point. And just to remind our listeners that that's a hamstring bridge, not a glute bridge right. that we talk, that we know from you. It's like the, yeah. the, the, the knee actually, is almost is much more straight. And we didn't even talk about this, but there's a way to make it even more hamstring dominant, which is elevating your feet. So oh, yeah, we didn't talk about that. You, yeah. If you go real, well, just elevating your feet right off the bat, in a bridge pose, whether your knees are bent or straight will make it more hamstring. Mm -hmm. But if you go feet elevated plus a position mm -hmm. of knee, relative knee extension, so maybe your knees are bent like 30 degrees off of straight, uh, now you have very ripe conditions for hamstring strengthening. And if you did wanted to test, well, how many of those bridges can I do on one leg and on the yeah. other leg? That's good. You, you, you just describing that, I can strength. feel how hard that is. That's really <laughs> yeah, hard. You could test your strength. You can test your symmetry from one side to the other. Maybe you have strong hamstrings on one side and relatively weaker hamstrings on the other side. Or right. maybe it's a lot both you could explore. Sides are weak. Yeah. 
Right. And so I'm really glad you brought up that feet elevated bridge variation because it explains why we included that as one of our yeah. exercises in our five weeks program. That's like why right. it's why we put it in there because it's so good for targeting the hamstrings. Yeah. And that, that was another one where knowing that it's really hard, I think we started with two legs and then we had people march feet, mm -hmm, if I'm mm -hmm. remembering correctly. I think you're and right. then yeah. we went into like maybe the third time of visiting that program, we went into the single leg version. Or As gave people the option for Yeah, that. you didn't yeah. have to, but yeah, yeah, that's right. We're kind of showing the spectrum of of possibilities. Yeah. So basically, to kind of sum to kind of sum that all up, back, the yeah. yeah back to proximal hamstring tendinopathy. Yeah, right. It's just to say we are in no way um, diagnosing or treating anybody, but in a physical therapy context, you probably would be led through progressive strengthening. Right. And if you're interested in uh, preventing uh, the occurrence or development of a proximal hamstring tendinopathy or yoga butt, then then going out of your way to strengthen your hamstrings is a really good idea. That's mm -hmm. like very recommended. And I was just going to say the, in addition to strengthening, you might be instructed to back off of the stretching of the hamstrings during that time, mm -hmm. but that wouldn't be a, a forever thing. You would then reintroduce that to uh, to your tolerance in a graded fashion until you re were returning to do all of the hamstring stretching that you wanted to be doing. Totally. Totally. So I think just understanding that kind of helps, can help give people a better idea of like, yeah, what yoga butt is, what it means, what's the connection with, with something like strength. And that's, yeah, big, uh, one of the many reasons why we, we really wanted to pull out the hamstrings and focus on them in our program. Mm -hmm. But Travis, Lana, I, I think this is a pretty related note, but it's a slightly different topic. Uh, mm -hmm. And this was a, a question that a listener submitted. And um, I thought this was a really good question to talk about today. Uh, their question was, um, is it true that keeping the knees bent in forward folds protects the hamstrings and specifically the hamstrings, tendons, hamstring tendons. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty prevalent. I'm not sure that like everyone has heard this warning, but I've definitely heard it from multiple teachers. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea why someone, why that warning might be out there? Like why it might be cautioned to bend the knees when stretching the hamstrings to protect the hamstrings? I don't know. <laughs> I think, you, what do you think? I think it's because bending the knees, like take some of the stretch out of the hamstrings. This is what I think. This is my impression. Sure. Right. You're not like stretching the hamstrings quote as hard, I guess, as, in, as yeah. if you bend but, the knees. But the thing about it is, well, you can just go, you know, you can incline your torso farther forward now. <laughs> exactly. So whether, And whether that's what people do. At, yeah. Whether you're getting it at one end or the other. Precisely. If you bend your knees in a forward fold, um, that's going to put some slack in the hamstrings so that you can probably tilt your pelvis forward more because the, you know, the hamstrings cross two joints. So if your point is to like get people to reduce their stretch, that likely may not be happening because then they, they'll just probably fold forward more, like you said, from the torso, mm -hmm. you know, in whatever variation of a forward fold we're talking about. And then, uh, yeah, on the flip side, if you straighten the knees in a forward fold, that's probably just going to reduce the amount that you can tilt your pelvis forward, you know, because they're mm -hmm. like two sides of the same thing. So you yeah. may not fold your torso as far. It's like, you know, they pull from different directions or whatever, but it's the same thing. Additionally, we know from um, that many, many research studies, they they will include and incorporate straight legged uh, hamstrings uh, stretch stretches for like testing flexibility or measuring flexibility. Oh, absolutely. 
like there's something called the sit and reach where it's basically that's like it's like staff pose in yoga actually it's really more like paschimottanasana in yoga which is you start in staff pose or dandasana then you fold yeah. forward that's mm -hmm. kind of like the sit and reach that's in, like um, the the classic right posterior chain flexibility you that's like right. uh they they make this kind of boxy thing with the slider on it where you yes. slide and push it as far forward as you can. Totally. That's like the classic sit and reach. Right. And then also in research, there's often the straight leg raise, right, Travis? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which in yoga, that's like supdapadindustrasana. You're reclined and you lift one straight leg straight up while the other leg stays down. Right. So my point in mentioning that is just um, generally in research contexts, like any um, protocols need to be approved by by Human IRB subjects. or the, yeah. yeah, by the ethics committee, right? They have to like make sure that what the researchers are planning to do is ethical and it's not going to harm people. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's worried about that. Right. Exactly. So all of that is just to point out like in other contexts, like research on the body, people aren't worried about needing to bend the knees in order to protect the hamstrings in a hamstring stretch. But for some reason in the yoga world, this seems to be a concern. Mm -hmm. So just kind of want to like assage for people that they, you know, those concerns and we probably don't need to worry about that. Another point I wanted to make about this is that I'm not sure that everyone realizes that anytime a muscle contracts, like anytime a muscle contracts and whether it contracts and shortens or whether it contracts and lengthens, a muscle contraction is always, it's attempting to shorten and pull in towards center. And what that means is it's pulling on the tendons. Mm -hmm. So muscle contractions are always pulling on the muscle attachments or like where the tendons attach. And that's mm -hmm. like what creates our movement. And so basically like all muscle contractions are stretches if we're talking about like the tendons. Mm -hmm. Yet we never hear about um, muscle contra contractions or if you layer on more load and you're actually talking about strengthening with those muscle contractions, that stuff's not fear mongered about. And in fact, that's often in, in a yoga context or in the yoga world. Often teachers are like, you should contract your muscles in order to stay safe so that you don't injure your hand. Like there's more of a, an emphasis on like, that's the preference is to activate your muscles. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I'm not sure we're realizing that in activating the muscles, we're still pulling on and creating stretches on the tendon anyway. So if the worry in yoga in a passive stretch is that we should bend the knees so that we back off the stretch and we're not like pulling on the tendon, you know, if that's the worry, like, why don't we worry about that in an active contraction because that's happening anyway. Mm -hmm. The broader point, meaning we don't worry about it in active contractions. In fact, they're super encouraged and so is strengthening. So a passive stretch is just really kind of like a, a low load version of like what happens to tendons anyway when muscles contract. So maybe if we put it in that context, we can kind of, um, you know, just realize that maybe it's just not something we need to worry about so much or cue about so much. Yeah. Or it could be one of those things where it's more of an exploration of try it this way, try it that way. If one feels That's better right. to you, then do that. Precisely. Yeah. Like, where do you feel the stretch when you bend the knee? Where do you feel mm -hmm. the stretch when you straighten the knee? You know, and get to know your body better and your own movement better. And like you said, maybe be empowered to make your own choice, but you don't necessarily need to be told from a teacher, like wagging their finger, like, make sure you do this to protect mm -hmm. your this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm seems like one yet one more example in the long line of examples of maybe something that we don't need to say <laughs> in yoga. right so what should we say instead <laughs> i 
<laughs> That's always the question. Yeah. Maybe instead of addressing that, we can move on to our next co- listener question that we wanted to address today. Do you know what that one is? What's up with muscle cramps? Exactly. So this was a great question that was submitted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it's because many people have this shared experience of feeling their hamstring muscles cramp, right? Yeah. Travis, do you ever, do you ever feel that? Absolutely. <laughs> happened to me. Me too. Has it happened to you? Yeah. Yes, it's totally happened to me. Uh, yes, hamstring cramps are, ve- are very common. Um, but it turned there, and I think a lot of people think of like hamstring strengthening and cramping always happening. But also um, cramps can happen in many different muscles too. I think mm-hmm. hamstrings kind of stand out for us, but there are a lot of other areas of the body that, that tend to cramp. Sure. So um, in general, there are, many, there are different types of cramps that can be experienced in the body and like certain cramps, um, basically what a cramp is, is it's like an involuntary muscle contraction uh, that's associated or accompanied by like discomfort or pain. That's kind of like the technical definition of a cramp. Cramps can be associated with like certain medical conditions like ALS. Sometimes they're connected to being on a certain type of medication. Mm. There are some there are nocturnal cramps. People sometimes experience that has happened to me. Yeah, I know that's kind of common too. It's wild. And those are all different. That's like all a different different types of cramps with potentially different causes than the cramps that we're gonna focus on today. Yeah. Well, it's hard to explain why you're sleeping and suddenly you wake up and your yes. calf is in a full-on cramp. Totally. Like I wasn't it's doing anything. Calves. Yeah. Right. It's, in the nocturnal cramp, it's usually, it seems like yeah. the calves or sometimes, sometimes the hamstrings too. Brutal. Or the foot. Sometimes people cramp in the sole of their I foot. I used to get um, foot cramps when I swam. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when I was short on sleep. Oh, I, interesting. I, I don't have any explanation for that besides sleep is really important. <laughs> right, uh, right. I don't, I don't, it, it sort of makes sense. I haven't read that that's something that that's like uh, something else that plagues people like, Oh, if you're short on sleep, then you're, you're more yeah. likely to cramp, but it sort of makes sense. It's been my N equals one experience. <laughs> right. Yeah. I haven't read it of that as a risk factor, but it, it kind of makes sense too. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we are talking about the type of cramps that mo- that most people are thinking about when they're working their hamstrings, is um, that is exercise associated muscle cramps or EAMC right. in the research. It's like a specific type type of <laughs> cramp, and those cramps they uh, they tend to be associated with a muscle attempting to work, and that muscle is fatiguing. The muscles like at the right. point of fatigue, right? And it can happen during something like a strength training movement. Mm-hmm. But it can also, as your example with like swimming, it can also be like um, in an endurance activity. Yeah, yeah. Like triathletes, marathon runners are kind of really known to like yeah. have cramps. Yeah. So it's not just um, during like strength, strength mm-hmm. type work. But yeah. uh, for me personally, that's my my more association is yeah when I'm trying to strengthen my hamstrings or um, like strengthen other parts of the body. It tends to happen when a muscle is in a shortened position. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of good to realize. I, and I, the one that comes to mind for me is the bridge slide that we talked about before. Yes. Because you're working that muscle in both of its joint actions. Yes, it both of its joint just, actions. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very it's, just, tra- it's, it's very taxing. It's very challenging. Yeah, and exactly. The, the, so it's the really nervous hard. system recognizes that. Yeah. And, 
It's at fatigue, but it's interesting that it tends to be at when a muscle's at a shorter length versus a Mm. longer length. I mean, maybe some people have experience a cramp at a longer length, but they're more common when the muscle is shortened. So bridge slides are a good example, like as you're pulling the heels back in, then the muscle shortening. Another good example is um, sometimes we do this like in a, say, a low lunge, or you could do this from, let's say standing might be easier to picture it. You're standing. You do yeah. a quad, you know what I'm going to say? Yeah. A quad stretch where you pull your heel up toward your sitting bone and you pull it in with your hand, but then you let your hand go and you hold the heel up as high as you can. Cramp sitting. Everybody gets cramps there. Yeah. Yeah. Because of, can... of the length tension relationship, right? Exactly. The muscle is in such a shortened position already. And now you're trying to hold it there, create that contraction in a really disadvantageous position from a length tension standpoint. The muscle just freaks. That's exactly it. Yeah. And as we talked about, the hamstrings cross both of those joints, the knee and the hip. Mm-hmm. And because they do both hip extension and knee flexion when you go into that quad stretch right. and then you hold it, it's like yeah, so you're, Yeah, you're, you're in extension. So it's stretched at the hip. Now it's stretched at the knee. And mm-hmm. now you're asking it to work in that position. And it's like, no, no, no. It's too no, no. much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also uh, it tends to be biarticular muscles where it's a little more common. So the hamstrings mm. are a good example. Mm-hmm. But I have an example in my own body that I've experienced with my students as well. And this joint is, is not a biarticular joint, but the lat, the not joint muscle, uh, the lats. So mm. the lats on the back, you know, big muscles of the back and they cross the back of the shoulder joint and then they insert on the upper arm what? bone. What's the context where you yes. can, like which pose? So it wouldn't be, it would not be something like a pull up. So if you picture like arms straight and then you pull oh. down there, yeah. the, you can see the lats are lengthened. Yeah. That's like, um, so it, it wouldn't would be there. be like Pervotanasana. Yeah, it would be, per- it would totally be Pervotanasana. Yes, yes. My example I was going to say, but yours, yours is totally, it's like the same. But uh, maybe you've done this in my classes before where I call it like the posterior block hold where you take a block behind you in between your hands. Oh, you right. Squeeze it. You don't hold it with your yeah. you squeeze your hands. That's in. probably even harder or, or like you... more, more likely to cramp. Yeah. Than purpose. Yeah. Cause at yeah. least your leg, your legs are really supposed to be doing what's the, what's doing the work, that's, but in the, in the block point, behind Travis. the body, not that there's even any load, but just like, it's just the position. The yeah. Oh, brutal. yeah. And also you're so right because that's really more about the arms. Whereas Pervotanasana is more the lower body. Mm-hmm. But in my example, you're also, because you're hugging into the block, you're doing a deduction and the right. legs do that. They do adduction ah, and they yeah. do extension. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, lots of people experience a cramp there. The lats are super shortened and they're doing their actions in that shortened yeah. position. Mm-hmm. So that's another example. So, and I'm sure listeners have their own examples of even other areas. Oh, hip flexors tend to cramp a lot in a shortened position. Yeah. You know, like our Dandasana leg lifts. Mm-hmm. So the hip flexors are shortened, then we lift yep. the leg and they tend to. So that's Just another happened example. to me the other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the deal is um, cramps are very common. Some people are more pre, uh, predisposed to experience them than others. Genetics may play a role. Like some people just might get cramps more easily than others. They're just crampers. Yeah, some people are crampers. Exactly. <laughs> So there's that. Um, they're uncomfortable, but they're benign. So they're not harmful. Not not these types of cramps that we're talking about, exercise-associated muscle cramps. The best, um, I guess you could say, quote, treatment for them or the research, uh, what research suggests is the best thing to do when you have a cramp is to do a passive stretch yeah, of the muscle. Yeah, which is just exactly the opposite of what you want to do in that moment. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think I, because it's so shortened it, and cramping up, yeah, I kind it, of want to stretch yeah, it, I feel like. It, you know, it, it's both. Like it. You know you want to have to you want you know you want to do that, but it's very uncomfortable to do it. Right, right. You're like, oh, oh, oh. 
But on a on a very geeky level, uh, here's here's the deal. It's um, much is not known about these types of cramps. Like there's a lot that research doesn't know. Kind of mm-hmm. like with so many yeah. things. There used to be this theory that people cramped more when they were dehydrated. Yeah. And therefore had this like electrolyte imbalance between sodium and potassium. I so there were these old too, but folk. Not, yeah, you've heard that too. to be the case. Yeah. Right, right. So now it seems that that's not, that's what, that's the traditional idea, but research yeah, has shown Yeah, and they that told you, the okay, case. you have to make sure you're hydrated. You could drink pickle juice. That was, yeah, that's another like one. The, 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 um, what's the word? Antidote. Yes. And or banana eating bananas. I don't know if you've heard of oh, that sure. because they have potassium. Yeah. Right. yeah. So these are like the, the folk ideas or whatever, but they're not supported. Uh, it doesn't seem that research supports those ideas today. What it seems today. And again, it just seems like the best working theory is that it's like at this neuromuscular level with reflexes. Mm-hmm. And that basically it's when, uh, what, a, what a cramp is, is when, the muscle spindle, which is this like proprioceptor in your muscle, when that that muscle is involved in a reflex it, that gets the muscle to contract, basically, that the muscle spindle will will cue a muscle to contract. And then we have the Golgi tendon organ, which is another proprioceptor located more at the ten, at the tendon, and that pro, that proprioceptor will trigger a muscle to relax. So the two kind of do opposite things. And mm-hmm. when a cramp happens, it seems that. There's this like reflex, maybe imbalance could be a word for it, where the muscle spindle is excited and like upregulated and the Golgi tendon organ is downregulated. So we just get more of this signal to have the muscle contract and we don't get that like complementary signal to have it relax. So that's my understanding of like what the current working theory is. It's like it has to do with reflexes. It's this neuromuscular thing. Yeah. The cool thing though is that Maybe the first time you do, especially like we were talking about that deep knee flexion in hip extension and then hold where you're working the hamstrings in their shortened position. Yeah. That as you practice that more, oh, it yeah. becomes less and less cramp inducing. That's a really, thank over, you for mentioning that. Because the thing that it seems that research suggests is that one way to prevent cramps is to strengthen your muscles mm-hmm. in because those positions. Well, I had just read, I read about like a study that was done on endurance, like on runners Mm -hmm. and that the runners who strength trained have less cramps than those who didn't. So that in that the impression was just like their legs, it was strength training the lower body that their legs were just generally stronger because if a cramp is connected to a muscle fatiguing, it makes sense to me that the, you know, the further, the stronger the muscle is, the less it is to fatigue and even get to that place in the first place. Yeah. But, but for sure, my experience is that strength doing like that shortened um, hamstring strengthen in that quad stretch position. If you do that over time and you do it in that position, you'll get better at it. Yeah. But then if you also take a break from it and go back to it, like I find those effects don't, uh, don't stick with you unless you keep doing it, you know, right. If you practice it and it gets better and then you take a break and then you go back to it, that just happens all over again. Totally right. Yeah, but so that's just another potential benefit to strengthening. And like in my personal, just anecdotal experience, I used to get many more hamstring cramps than I do. Like in the bridge slides, oh, I would wow. totally feel those. Yeah. Totally feel those cramps. Now I, um, it's it's much less common because I'm stronger. Yeah. And so that could be yet another side benefit of doing something like our five weeks to strong flexible hamstrings program is maybe maybe it's preventative for if if cramps. you're a cramper. 
<laughs> yeah. Now, Travis, we have kind of come to the end of our conversation. Do you want to really quickly rapid fire, try to rapid fire, just like a couple other questions we got from listeners? Okay. <laughs> um, we'll be really fast with this because sure. two of them, I think we can refer people to our last podcast episode with Todd Hargrove about posture because we oh, talked super. about, yeah. So these two are, I'm just going to say both of them because they're to, to me, they seem related. Do the hamstrings shorten from sitting and uh, do tight hamstrings cause anterior pelvic tilt? I know those are slightly different questions, but in my mind, they're, they're, they're kind of over um, mm -hmm. overlapping. Mm -hmm. what, what do you, what do you think about those? Well, the first thing I think about the hamstrings shortening is that for the hamstrings to actually shorten, the attachment points would have to get closer. Totally so tries. just the from a from a very literal interpretation of that, th that doesn't occur, right? Where they insert on the ischial tuberosity and then or originate and then um, insert on the tibia. Is that right? Yeah. Tibia it, and the fibula, I think for the lateral, but yeah. Right. It, um, those points aren't getting closer together. So they're not cause they're on your bones right. and they don't so, move. Yeah. So, so if the question is really, do they get, do they lose range of motion from sitting? Uh, I think it depends what else you're doing, right? It's not that it's not that because you're sitting, you are there, it, like that things just lose flexibility but if you're not mm -hmm. using the range of motion that you have then like outside of the sitting then maybe right like but if you never because of the sitting knees, yeah if, you never... but yeah it's because use it or lose it if you don't use the range of motion that you have that's then right. yeah it's not because of sitting it's like you could sit you could sit for eight hours and then as long as you go and do a, a, something where you're moving through your range of motion then you'll retain that range of motion yeah like basically as long as you stand up after sitting and like walk around <laughs> then you're gonna re, you know re-lengthen the back out but it's not the right. sitting it's not right exactly it's like this bigger picture <laughs> and kind of on a related note when it comes down to do quote tight hamstrings again tight is that nebulous term do they create anterior pelvic tilt which you know is this fear-mongered quote bad posture but as we talked about in the last podcast episode there's a much bigger picture there uh do tight hamstrings cause like create posture to begin with or is posture created somewhere else in our body yeah it's it's not that simple right right like Let's, there's a greater system yeah and then I, that is anterior pelvic tilt something that we even need to be worried about <laughs> that huge question too listen back to episode 25 yeah listen to our lot exactly kind of addresses addresses those um and then briefly lastly uh multiple questions about hamstrings and sciatica mm -hmm. which they were kind of vague you know it wasn't like a specific question but i do think there's maybe maybe an idea that like hamstrings and sciatica are, are somehow connected or stretching the hamstrings yeah well it's is, it's interesting because the sciatic nerve runs from a little bit higher up on than the hamstrings insert but like in the lumbar spine right. and then goes all the way down to through the back of the thigh yeah through the back of the thigh and so sometimes it's it's usually felt more in the gluteal area um, but it can certainly have symptoms that radiate all the way down the leg including mm -hmm. through the back of the leg so oftentimes the intervention for that is 
some sort of, it, it might look like hamstring stretching and it might be hamstring stretching in fact, but it's maybe more directed at that nerve, like doing some sort of nerve glide, which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you extend the knee, that will perform that glide on that nerve. So yeah, you're stretching the hamstring as a result of that, but it, that's not like the the main thing that you're after isn't necessarily a hamstring stretch. It's just a byproduct of the fact that we're trying to get that nerve to glide. To mobilize that nerve. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When you stretch the hamstrings, you're stretching the sciatic nerve. Um, and I don't know if you've heard this, uh, but sometimes there are these cautions in a hamstring stretch. And I'm thinking like of a clot, like a seated forward fold, like Paschimottanasana, where there are the cautions that if you're folding forward with the foot flexed, that we shouldn't do that. Like this is just like a, a cue to everybody. Like don't flex your feet in a, in Paschimottanasana because it can cause sciatica. And I think, I don't know if you've heard that before, but I've definitely heard Refer that. back to halfway through the podcast when we said things yes. aren't caused by anything, but. Exactly. Thank you for saying or that. Any, any one thing. But possibly if someone had sciatica, then maybe in that position, they're stretching the sciatic nerve more. Maybe they feel that on tension. Yeah. And maybe oh, they don't yeah. want to do that. Totally. You know, so so maybe someone with that that um condition, they might not want to flex their Yeah, foot, if, but... if that bothers you, yeah. then back off. It, that could also be something that you're actually working towards from a graded standpoint. Totally. Um, which you should do under the supervision of a medical professional if you're 100%. in pain. Um, but yeah. You can you can play with that. So, Travis, do you feel Jenny, like we have? Do you feel like we pretty thoroughly covered the topic of the hamstrings? I think in so. This conversation. I think. So. I think. Yeah, I think we covered a lot. And um, just like one more reminder that if this episode helped kind of support this message that strengthening the hamstrings is a good idea for really anybody with a body but especially for yogis because mm-hmm. we tend not to do that in yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anyone feels encouraged to like go out there and do that, they should consider our brand new program, which is like designed completely to support that. For all of the reasons that we just discussed, we, we designed this program to address these things. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Very, and we- very intentionally and deliberately and in the, the well thought out way that I'm sure our listeners can <laughs> know that we treat any, um, any project. Of our, all of our offerings. Yeah, yeah. Under the strength for yoga umbrella. And yeah, it's all about like empowering yogis to feel more confident and strong and better in their bodies. So I'm yeah. super excited about having created this with you. Yeah. And one more. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Same to you. And one, one more uh, plug for it is just the idea that we already have offerings, our book and our remote group training ongoing program that are more it, it, DIY maybe is the the word that people would understand, but you're you're sort of doing it on your own time at your own pace. Whereas this is a lead practice, like many yogis are more accustomed to. Yeah, we were totally listening to people's requests and wanted to create something that would really fill that need of people who really want that like lead practices experience. Um, that yogis are kind of like in a yoga class setting. That's like what we're used to. So, yeah, so we hope that, that this helps fill um, fill that need for people. So yeah. anyway, yeah, hop on uh, and check it out. And we really think that you are going to love it. And hopefully you learned a lot about the hamstrings in this conversation in general. It's like such a good area of the body to focus on, especially for yogis. And we, we talk even more in the program. <laughs> we talk a 
you're right. Lots of educational tidbits in the program for yes. sure. Yes. So thank you so much, Travis, for having this conversation with me. Thanks, Jenny. And that wraps up our thorough and body geeky look at the hamstrings. Remember to order our brand new five weeks to strong and flexible hamstrings program today at strengthforyoga.com slash five dash weeks. And the link is in the show notes. It's on launch release sale until October 17th, 2022. And after that, you can definitely still order it, but it'll just be at its full price. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon. Mm -hmm.